Okay, we're busy with a series called Love the City, and uh, so we want to we want to commit the things that we've been speaking about and what I'm going to be speaking about today. Commit that before God. I want to bring this the city before the Lord. And the last last week I started to get more practical about evangelism, so I'm going to continue a bit with that today. So the message is titled. Uh, the day of salvation. So today is the day of salvation. Do you know then? Let's say it. It's the day of salvation. Okay. And I also have to say I'm going to probably freak you out today. So put on your seatbelts. <laughs> because I've been thinking and praying and, and I just realized that... Um, at the bottom, at the starting point of what motivates us to reach to other people is a very challenging concept. But in this city and in this nation, there are two types of people. In the whole world, there are only two groups of people. Only two. Either those who are perishing or those who are being saved. So I want to read this verse for you. It says, 1 Corinthians 1.18 for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the message of the cross, and that's what communion is about. It's about, Jesus said, whenever you have communion, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me, of what I have done for you, of the cross, of my blood that was shed, of my body that was broken. And there is one reason. Why Jesus did this. You can get more reasons, but one main reason is that there are two groups of people now in this world. There are those who are perishing, those who are dying, and those who are being saved. Only two groups of people. That's all God sees. God sees either someone is perishing or, even, or someone is being saved. And that's how God looks at the world. And so it says it is foolishness. And so for many of us here, you, you're Christian. Many of us are now Christians, and we're serving the Lord. But the message of the cross is foolishness. Until it clicks, until it makes sense to people. And so, it's the power of God. It's the power of God unto salvation. And so, I shared last week, basically three things. A strategy for reaching out to people. First of all, go. Second of all, serve. And thirdly, share with them. On your chairs, you would have received a little card like this. This is part of serving. Every second chair or so, we'll, we'll make more. It says, love the city. The idea is, and you see at the back, it says, my small way of showing he loves you. So this past week, the homework was to go and speak to someone. Share with someone. So I went to have my, had my hair cut. So um, my hairdresser was a captive audience. Thank you, Jesus. So uh, we talk about the Lord every time. But this time I went where I'm going to go this morning. And that is there's one reason why we are motivated to step out of our comfort zones and to reach out to people like nothing else on this earth. And it's called hell. Hell. That is the reason. 
That is the ultimate motivation for why we want to step out and reach out to people. So anyway, so I told my uh, hairstylist, as he calls himself, so what do you think about hell? And so we had a nice chat about hell, and, uh, and he, doesn't really, he, he doesn't live a lifestyle that, that's uh, really Christian, but he, he sort of believes. And uh, so I realized afterwards that was probably one of the quickest haircuts I've had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you want someone to hurry up, that's a good way of, of uh, doing it. Just ask them, well, what do they think about this thing called hell? But anyway, this card, and I'll get back to it again, but it says, my small way of showing he loves you. This is my challenge to each one of us, to take this card and to bless someone, to give an extravagant tip at a restaurant, and you add this, he loves you. To give someone a Coke that's it's hot and they're standing outside, whatever, and you, you give them a cool drink, or you, you bless someone, and you just, you just add this and say, this is my small way of showing he loves you. Okay, bit of homework. Let's love the city. Let's step out of our comfort zones. And so Jesus said, this is my body that is broken for you. This is my body that was broken for you. And so I want us to just have communion, just to bring the city before God, that the love of Christ would flood the city, that the love of Christ would flood our hearts and burn with an unstoppable fire, unstoppable passion on the inside of us. I, I read this week as a guy called D.L. Moody. He said, catch fire for Jesus and the whole world will come and watch you burn. There's something about someone that's caught fire for Jesus. Have you caught fire for Jesus? Have you caught fire for Jesus? Father, we thank you for your, your amazing love. Thank you, Lord. We know there's only two types of people in this world, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And Lord, we pray that this will become our ultimate reality, our focus and urgency. Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken. You opened the way for us to enter into relationship with you. You were tormented so that we could be comforted. And so, Jesus, we thank you for this, Lord. And we receive your broken body this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat. God, we bring East London before you. Every soul, just realize again, every soul is like a treasure. You love us, Lord. You value us, every human being, child, baby, elderly, male, female, rich, poor. We are your treasure. And you want to find us. You want to save us. You want to win us. And so, God, we bring us as a church before you, Lord, and we bring this city before you. Father God, we ask for souls. We ask that you do in others' lives what you have done in so many of us here. You've saved us. The foolishness of the cross, we've come to see its power. And so, Lord, we ask for this. 
Give us this grace to be a powerful vessel in your hands. May we be a soul-winning church, unashamedly. A soul-winning church. Because there's only two types of people in this world. Those who are perishing and those who are saving. And so God, we pray for this. Help us to see. So Lord, we thank you for the power of your blood. Let it cover every soul here, every heart, every physical body. Thank you for supernatural protection. Thank you that you are with us. And we welcome you here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink. Hallelujah. Okay, just send it to the inside aisle so someone can pick it up. Ushers, come and find, pick it up, please. Thank you. Okay. So are you ready to become uncomfortable? Because <laughs> we need to ask ourselves this question. Why? Why did Jesus do what he did? Why was Jesus willing to go through hell on the cross? Why were the apostles willing to be killed for their faith? Why were they willing to leave everything they knew, all their comfort? They left everything and they went out into the world. And they, many of them, 11 of the 12 apostles, died martyrs' deaths. Some of them were sawn in two. Some of them, their heads were cut off. Some of them were put between four horses and their limbs were ripped off their bodies. Now, why would you do that? I would think, hey, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> this is just too uncomfortable. There's no, there's no natural reason for people to do that. I mean, why experience persecution? That's no fun. It's much nicer to sit in a corner, be quiet. Everyone leave you alone. But for some reason, Jesus walked around Israel and he preached the bold gospel. He preached about the kingdom of God and many hated him and they even then killed him in the end. And so also were the other apostles, disciples. Well, the reason is one reason. There's one reason that would empower a person to move beyond their comfort zone and live as these men lived. And it's called hell, which motivates a, a form of love that helps you to get over yourself and your comfort and to reach out to other people. So, you know, people might say, no, 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 no. Jesus, you know, Jesus... Good God doesn't send people to hell. He's, he's, Jesus is love. Do you agree? Jesus is love. And he's kind and he's good. I agree. Let's look at this. John chapter 12, verse 47. It says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, and if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. Yay. Thank you, Jesus. Even Jesus doesn't judge us. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Say that, save the world. Okay, so Jesus came to save the world. He says, even I, and so people are saying, yep, there you have it. Jesus doesn't judge us. Stop judging. 
Have you heard that? I saw it on Facebook this week. Someone said, Matthew 7, the way people are reading the Bible these days is as follows. And then you see the Matthew 7 text, and it's all sort of canceled out. All you see there is judge not. That's how people are reading the scriptures these days. Judge not. But they don't read the rest. Okay, so Jesus is saying, I've not come. I've not come into this world to condemn people and to accuse people. I've, not, I've come to save. But now look at verse 48. Next one. He who rejects me and does not receive my words. Let's say that. Does not receive my words. That's very important. He does, and does not receive my words. Has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So Jesus is saying, there's a last day and it's judgment day. But he's also saying, the words that I have spoken will judge you in the last day. So we will stand before God and we will give an account. And God will evaluate us according to the word that he has already spoken. So Jesus will be the one that judges one day. He will be the king, the one day. There's one day. Now is the day of salvation. This is the season of salvation. But there is one day that there will be a, a, the judgment day where everyone will stand before God and give an account. The last day. You see, God is a God of love, but he's also a just God, a good God. So next verse, just quickly laying a foundation. Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. This is the Apostle John. The Lord showed him the future, what is coming. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it. This is Jesus, the King, who sat on this great white throne. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. How about that? The earth and the heaven fled away on that day, the day of judgment, Heaven and earth fled away from the face of Jesus. It was so terrifying that heaven and earth would flee away. Why? Because the heaven and earth has been tainted with sin. Everything that has been tainted with sin will flee in terror from the face of God on that day. That one day. The one day. The day of recompense. The day of vengeance. The day of punishment. There is a day coming. We might not find justice in this life, but you can know there will be a day of justice. Whatever people have done to us even, there will be a day of recompense. And so it says there, and there was found no place for them. So then later on you read, and God created a new heavens and a new earth, because the heavens and the earth have been cursed with sin, become sinful. Then it says, verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, Standing before God, so the dead come before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So there's the book of life, and then there are different, book, different books. Everything we do is being written down. Do you know that? Everything you do, everything you think, Bible says we will give an account for every word we speak. Every idle word, we will actually give an account. It's like there's a recording, a recorder next to you. It's recording everything. Everything you say, 
Everything you think, everything we do, there will become a day that we will give an account. Then it says, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades, Hades is the temporal hell, delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, say each one, according to his works. According to his works. Each one, everyone will be judged not according to just what they believe, but what they did. Their works. You see, there are lots of doctrine about who is God and how does he operate. But the scriptures show us who he really is. And so we need to look at the scriptures and make sure we're in the faith. And what is going to come. And what's going to happen. And how's, how does God operate. He's, he is love, but he is holy. On that one day, that one day, each one will be judged according to the works. Verse 14, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So the, the lake of fire is the eternal death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Anyone not found written in the book of life. Many people think if I'm a good person, I'm going to go to heaven. There's not one scripture that says that. If your name is written in the book of life, you go to heaven. But your name can also be removed from the book of life. But not going to go into that now. That is for another sermon to make you incredibly uncomfortable. But there's a day where God's going to deal with every evil, every sin, every wickedness. There will be justice because he is a just God. Hell is real. There's a quote here. J.C. Ryle said the following. Disbelief hell and you unscrew, unsettle, and unpin everything in scripture. You may as well throw your Bible away at once. Disbelief hell and you unscrew, you unsettle, you unpin everything. Say everything. Everything in scripture, you may as well throw your Bible away at once. Why? Because the reality of eternity, heaven and hell, judgment day, eternity, it affects how we think, it affects how we live. It changes everything. It changes everything. Everything is valued differently suddenly. If we realize that this life is as short as a breath, let's breathe out, breathe out quickly. That's game over. Breath, vapor, gone. That's how long this life is compared to eternity. But how we lived in this moment, in this breath of life, will determine not just where we live, but also how we will live in eternity. And so we need to know this. And I want to stand one day before God, and I can honestly say, God, I told them. I warned them. I preached your word. I, I, I didn't just preach nice things. A few weeks, uh, a month or two ago, uh, we were in a meeting, and I just felt the Lord say to me, it's in your hands. It's in your hands. And I felt God saying, it's in our hands to see people come to Christ. It's the power of God that does it through us, but it's in our hands to make the difference, to see someone come to Christ. So imagine this for a moment. What if over the next year, you're a Christian, I'm assuming you're a Christian, I'm speaking to Christians. 
Over the next year, there is one person that has been allocated to your life. Only you can reach them for Jesus. There's no one else on the face of this earth that can reach them. Only you. If you miss your opportunity, what could be the result? Scary thought? That's a scary thought. What if there's five people that's been allocated to your life? You are the only one on the face of this earth that has the open door to step into their lives, share the good news of Jesus with them, and lead them to Christ. That's a scary thought. I was thinking of the parable, reading the Matthew 25. There are three parables, but the one parable says there was a master. Jesus speaking, he says there was a master. There were three servants. There was one with five talents, one with two talents, one with one talent. And he gave to each one according to their ability. The one with five talents, he went all the way. He made another five. The one with two talents, he made another two. The one with one talent was too afraid He was too afraid to do anything, so he hid his talent. And when the day of account came, God said, Good and faithful servant, one of five awesome, enter into the joy of the Lord. Good work. Wow. Well done. One of two talents, yes. Good and faithful servant. The one with one talent, he said, You wicked and lazy servant. Eh, The words of Jesus. You wicked and lazy servant. I often think that laziness is such a nice quality, you know, just chill a bit, you know, like a <sighs> scary. The master comes and he says to the servants, to the servant, you wicked and lazy servant. See, I don't know what to do with this. So I'm just putting it out there for you so you can wrestle with it with me. <laughs> Make you uncomfortable with me. But if you actually go read the scriptures, you go read what Jesus said, and you don't put a filter on. You just read it and see what it says. Then you realize, whoa, 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 focus. (laughs) What if I'm the one talent guy? I've been given one person to lead to Christ over this next year. One person to love sincerely and lead to Jesus. Would we live differently? I believe we would. We would if there's eternal, eternity. And eternity means forever and ever and ever. Unceasing pain and torment forever and ever. I really felt God saying it's in our hands. It's in your hands. Now, I know it's hard. How do you you deal with this without freaking out completely? I don't know. (laughs) But when I read the scriptures, I see Jesus and I see the apostles And I see them in a sense they were almost tormented with the reality of people not coming to Christ. Jesus standing in front of Jerusalem crying, weeping, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I've longed for you. To to cover you, to protect you, to have you come to me, but you were not willing. But as you see something in Jesus and the apostles and the disciples, they were willing to do anything. To see a soul come to Christ. So I want to take you to Luke chapter 16, verse 19 to 31. Lovely passage about Lazarus and the rich man. Rich man that went to hell, sent to hell. And, uh, but just think about this for a moment. What if your reason for living, your, your, the reason for your very existence is to lead someone to Jesus? 
What if that is our ultimate purpose? Many thinking, what should I be doing? How should I, where, what's God called me to? Well, what if he's called you just to lead one person to Christ at a time? So that's what I'm praying. Say, so God, give us, give us this heart. So let me read this to you. There was a certain rich man. This is Jesus speaking again. Who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. Like most of us. We're living like rich people. We're living like kings, most of us. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now it says a certain beggar, and his name was Lazarus. Because some people say, this is just a parable. No, it's not a parable. This is an actual event that happened because Jesus had as information what happens in eternity. He says there was a rich man, there was a beggar that was at his door, and uh, they, the following happened to them. I want to hold this before you and me. Could we be the rich man? I'm not saying they say we're going to go to hell, but I'm saying look at this, the way he operated. And ask ourselves, could we be like the rich man? So verse 22. So it was that the beggar died. Say died. And was carried by the angels to Abram's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, that is the current hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So they both died. The poor man, the beggar, there was angels at his death leading him to a temporary place before he goes to heaven. And the rich man had a beautiful burial. Everything was wonderful. Everyone was so, you know, honoring this great man of the community. But at his death, there was no angels. The devil was waiting for him and took him to hell. Do you realize that you will die one day? You need to know this. We need to value every moment of our day, every moment, every hour, every day. It's valuable. It's running out. Let's say that one day I will die. My question to you, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Will you, when, if you would die now, can you stand before God and say, God, I, I live for you. I breathed your kingdom day and night. I lived for you. Everything about me was for you, the master, the king, the God of glory who has designed heaven and earth, who's given us breath in our lungs. God, I lived for you. Can you say that? Many of us can't say that. You know? And I'm sharing this because we need to get ready. So it says in that same verse, verse 23, and being in torments and hate, so the rich man was tormented in hell. Verse 24, then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. This is the rich man. He, he, in a distance, he sees Lazarus with Abraham and he cries to them. He says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Say tormented. So that we see from this that he had all his faculties. He could see, he could, he could feel, he could be thirsty, 
He could recognize Lazarus and Abraham. He could remember, as we see, he can remember his life. All his senses. He had all his senses. And yet here he cries out, the rich man has now become the beggar. The rich man has become the beggar. And he was tormented in that flame, verse 25. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Lazarus, comforted. Rich man, tormented. Could it be that we could be comforted in this life, but tormented in the next? Or that we could live tormented with anguish? For lost souls. And be comforted in the next. Could it be that we can live. As servants in this life. And reign as kings in the next. Or we can live as kings here selfishly. Just looking after ourselves. But be beggars in the next. Even if we make heaven. But be poor. So look at this. Verse 27. Okay. Then he said, I beg you therefore, again he's begging, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abram said to him, they have Moses and the prophets Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. So the rich man knows they must repent. They must turn from their sins as the only way to escape this place. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. You know, if if people reject the word of God... You know, even if they see a miracle, sometimes it's not going to turn them necessarily. But I'm thinking, could it be? Make you uncomfortable this morning. You can thank me later, WhatsApp, email, all those good things. Could it be that there are people in hell right now crying out to the modern day church, to you and me, Begging us to go and speak to their families. Could that be? Could that be that the same man is still in hell and he's still crying out for mercy 2,000 years later? Could it be that they are crying out for us to, to step out of our comfort zones, to wake up to the reality of eternity and do what it takes to start praying at least, to start waking up to this reality? Are we hearing their cries? Are we hearing their cries? Are we hearing their cries? Are we listening? I mean, we prayed this morning in the song. We said, God, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see reality. You see, when you die, the moment you die, your soul moves on. I saw this morning as we were worshiping, I saw like a vision of On the inside of each one of these, there's treasure. Every human being on the face of this earth, there's treasure on the inside. It's our souls. 
it is incredibly valuable to God because he loves us and he loves people. You are valuable. He loves you so much. Heaven and hell is so real. There's so many stories. There's a book called Divine Revelation of Hell, but there's so many other books as well and accounts, people who have died. There's been studies done on near-death experiences where 95% of people either experience a hell or a, or a heaven experience. There's so much evidence that this is real. But when you die, your soul moves on. Where to will your soul move? Okay, that's the first question. And then secondly, even if, if we make heaven, Will we be able to stand before God one day and say, Father, I did it all. I gave him my everything. You see, you're a servant. If you are a Christian, you become a servant of the master. And he's giving us opportunities. Okay, but today is not the day of judgment. Today is the day of salvation. So I want to read you a story by a few accounts. It's like a case study, R.A. Torrey. Beautiful account. He was an evangelist in the late 1800s, beginning 1900s. He shares the story. He says, in a small country, small country town, there was an unbelieving blacksmith. He was a hard-headed, well-read man, strong in argument. An old deacon in the town became deeply interested in this unbelieving blacksmith and determined to lead him to Christ. Ah, good old deacon. Come on. He studied up as best he could all the unbelievers' arguments And the answers to them, when he thought he had all the unbelievers' arguments and answers at his fingers' ends, he called on the blacksmith and engaged him in conversation. But the blacksmith was far more than a match for him in argument, and in a few moments had fought the old deacon to a standstill. The old deacon knew he was right, but he could not prove it to the blacksmith. He burst into tears and said, well... I cannot argue with you, but I simply want to say, I have a deep spiritual concern for your soul. And then left the shop. The deacon made his way home and went into his wife and said, I'm only a botch on God's work. God knows I'm sincere and I really do desire the salvation of the blacksmith, but I could not meet him in argument. He laid me out cold in five minutes. Then the deacon went into his own room by himself and knelt down. Oh God, he cried. I'm only a botch on your work. Eh? Some of us also feel like that. Oh, God, I'm so useless. I'm only a botch on thy work. Thou knowest that I sincerely desire to lead the blacksmith to thee, but I could not talk with him. Oh, God, I'm only a botch on thy work. But soon after the deacon had left the blacksmith's shop, the blacksmith went into the house and said to his wife, Deacon so-and-so brought up an argument today. That I never heard before. He said he had a deep spiritual concern for my soul. What did he mean? His wife was a canny woman and said, you had better go and ask him. So the blacksmith hung up his apron, went went across lots to the deacon's home. Just as he stepped on the front porch through the open window, he heard the deacon's prayer. Oh God, I'm only a botch on thy work. Thou knowest that I sincerely desire to lead the blacksmith to thee, but I could not talk with him. O God, I'm only a botch on thy work. We Christians do like to beat ourselves up, don't we? He pushed the door open, went into the room where the deacon was kneeling and said, Deacon, you are no botch on God's work. I thought I knew all the arguments for Christianity and could answer them. 
but you brought up an argument I never heard before. You said you had a deep spiritual concern for my soul. Won't you pray for me? And the blacksmith broke down and accepted Christ. Real earnestness and love succeed where all arguments fail. Real love and concern, real earnestness and love succeed where all arguments fail. So just practically a few things from this account. Number one, real earnestness and love succeed where all arguments failed. It's not through an argument that we're going to bring someone to Christ. It's through sincere love. Secondly, when we really care about the souls of people, it will cause us to go even as the deacon went. I'm going to, I'm going to speak to that man. Thirdly, we will equip ourselves. So he went in trying to get all the answers he can for all the questions. Fourthly, we will share and we will engage. And fifthly, we will pray fervently because we are caring for someone's soul. And I know, I mean, many of us, we do care for souls of people. We just don't know where to start. We don't know what to do. Well, here's a good plan to start caring for people's souls and start praying. Start reaching out. You see, the rich man... In that story where Jesus, the account what Jesus spoke of, that Lazarus was at his door every day, but he just walked past. He was just full of himself, me, my wealth, my things, my life. And he missed the person at his door. Are we walking past people without concern for their souls? Are we walking past people and we are obsessed with just me and myself? Let me tell it to you straight. You will give an account to Jesus on judgment day. That's the truth. You will give an account. Your master, the king of heaven and earth, is going to ask you, what did you do with what I have given to you? What have you done? Uncomfortable? I know it's uncomfortable. Rather know it now than find it out later. What are you going to say? Jesus, I was busy. Is that sufficient? Jesus, I was busy. Jesus, I was afraid. Jesus, I didn't know what to do. Jesus, what are are we going to say? What are you going to say? Because you're going to stand alone before him and give an account. Yo, it's quiet, yeah? But Lazarus said, or the rich man cried out, send him. Send him. So that's the first thing. We need to go. We need to step out of our comfort zone. We need to go. That's the first one. Then secondly, we need to serve people. Look at this verse. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 to 23. The Apostle Paul, he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself, let's say made myself, a servant to all. That I might win them more. You see, that was the Apostle Paul's mission. I want to win souls. I want to win people to Christ. He said, I'm making myself a servant to all. You know, but I guarantee you the Apostle Paul is going to reign like a king in eternity. Because he was willing to make himself a servant to people here in this life. And he says in verse 22, to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. It's possible to say, I'm free. I don't need to do this. I am choosing to do this. Jesus saved me. I was destined for eternal separation from God. Do you know that? If you're a Christian here this morning, do you know what Jesus has saved you of? Saved you from? Eternal, eternal, unending 
damnation. The Apostle Paul's response is, Jesus, thank you. You've given me life. Thank you that you've done this in me, that you've given me eternal life. I now choose to make myself a servant of all. I I might win more. That I might win more souls. You see, the key to seeing people one for Christ is to serve them with the love of God. Practically to serve them. Serve them in a way that wins them over. Here's a quote by Dwight Moody. He was an evangelist. He says, if you can convince a man that you love him, you have won his heart. If you can convince a man that you love him, you have won his heart. If we really make people believe that God loves them, how we should find them crowding into the kingdom of heaven. What a challenge. If we could love people in a way that they experience it, tangibly taste it, that they know these people love me. He says there, how we should find them crowding into the kingdom of heaven. They're going to run to God. You see, the, the challenge is not to fight with people and argue with people. It's about loving people, serving them. In whichever way God gives you the opportunity to do so. The trouble is, he says, that men think God hates them. And so they're all the time running away from him. It's not about winning the argument. It's about winning hearts. It's about winning hearts. But then it needs to burn on the inside of us. The love of God needs to burn on the inside of us. It needs to consume us. Where can we start? It starts with prayer. It starts with putting off our TVs. It starts with putting off the distractions. It starts with focusing. I want to stand in heaven one day. I want the king of glory to say, good and faithful servant. Well done. Everything I gave you, you used it, you applied it, you You gave your best. You gave it your all. Come on, you can do the same. We can boldly, boldly look forward to our day of standing, of giving account before our God and King. Boldly. I've done it. I've done it all. It's about winning hearts. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. He gave himself for us. Jesus was tormented in this life through the cross so that, he, so that many can be comforted in the next life. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Here's a practical story. Another account by R.A. Torrey of a young lady that served someone into the kingdom. He says, a young lady in the Bible Institute of Chicago started to call upon every family on a certain street in the poorer quarter of the city. So she went to every door. One day she pushed open a door and found a man lying ill in bed, dying with TB. When she began to speak to him, he told her crossly that he was an unbeliever, an infidel, and did not believe in the Bible. She spoke a few words and left. The next day, she took him a glass of jelly. And the next day, took him some other delicacy. And a few days after that, something else. She kept up her kindly ministrations for about a month. So for a month, every day, 
she went and served this dying man who's like ugly and angry. One Sunday afternoon, she came to me, this R.A. Tory, as I was leaving my Bible class and said, there is an unbeliever dying down on Milton Avenue. I know you are very busy, but could you not take a few moments to go and see him? Yes, I replied, I will go now. She took me to the home and introduced me to the man and left. I sat down by his bed and asked if I could read from the Bible to him. He replied that I could. I read him a part of the fifth chapter of Romans, dwelling upon the places that told of God's love for the sinner. I read him the place where he told how Jesus Christ bore all our sins in his own body on the cross. Then I asked if I could pray. I knelt by his bed. I felt his time was short. I asked God to open his eyes to see that he was a lost sinner. And also to open his eyes to see that Jesus had borne all his sins in his own body on the cross, and to show him that he could find pardon and salvation then and there by simply trusting in Jesus. When I finished the prayer, I began to sing in a low tone, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bid me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. I sang on verse after verse. When I reached the last verse, he broke in. In a feeble voice, he evidently heard the song somewhere in his boyhood days, and he sang with me, Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise I believe. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. When we had finished, I looked up and said, Did you really come? He said, I did. I talked with him a little while and found that he really was trusting in the Savior. That night, he passed away to be with him. His wife, who was a Roman Catholic, came to me the next day and asked if I could, would conduct the funeral. I said I would. Around the coffin were gathered a considerable number of his old unbelieving friends. I told them the story of his death, how his unbelief had failed him in that trying hour, and how he had been led to see his need of the Savior, and that Jesus Christ was just the Savior he needed. And how he had been led to accept Christ. Then I said, are there any of you here today who have been unbelievers? Who will accept Jesus Christ as your savior? A stalwart man standing on the other side of the coffin reached his hand across to me and said, I have been an unbeliever with him. I've sympathized with him in all his views. But I now give them up and take Jesus Christ as my savior. Hallelujah. It's a guy called, uh, he was a student in Stellenbosch, a church in Stellenbosch. His name is Sebrant. He was passionate for the Lord. He went on missions and, and, and he was really passionate about souls for God. He, he recently died. They had a, over this weekend or in this week, they had a, a funeral memorial service in Stellenbosch. And I heard now from one of our guys, or I think they posted it on Facebook, more than 50 people responded on the salvation altar call at the end. Even in death, his passion was fulfilled. So what can we learn from the story, just practically speaking? This, this girl just kept loving, even though he was ugly and difficult. People don't know what they need. So ignore them if they are ugly. Keep on serving them. She did it for a month. Then don't just stop with serving. When the door is open. For the message, step through that door. And then, don't complain about a busy schedule. 
R.A. Torrey went there and he, sh- he shared, No, the time is short. You see, this is the day of salvation. But judgment day is quickly coming. But this is the day of salvation. Let's say it. This is the day of salvation. Let's say it again. This is the day of salvation, not judgment. Amen. We need to know that this is the day of salvation. The door is wide open for the whosoever. The harvest fields are ripe. They're ready. There are people just waiting for you to speak to them, to tell them. And I want to be honest with you. If you have no desire to tell anyone about Jesus, I'm worried about your salvation. If you have no desire to tell someone about Jesus, I'm not sure that you are saved. Can I challenge you with that? Because if you know Jesus, you at least want to. Even if you're intimidated and afraid and and etc, etc. But if you have no desire to tell someone about Jesus, I think you need to get saved. Can I be honest? I think you need to humble yourself, repent, and say, Jesus, I don't know you. I have told you now. I have told you. I tell you because I love you. I tell you because I believe I'll give an account before Jesus one day. These cards, my small way of showing he loves you. Give this to someone this week. We'll make more. We'll have an info table every week. You can get one or more. Go love on someone and point them to Christ. So first thing is go. Second thing is serve. And then lastly, just ending off with this, share. The rich man said that they may repent I, my family needs to repent. And then they said, the, Abram said, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. They must hear the word of God. So there's a point that people must hear the word of God. A miracle alone is not enough. Serving someone is not enough. You need to then share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I know it's a challenge. You know, so many of us, we've spoken to family members, we've spoken to friends, we've spoken to neighbors or colleagues, it backfired, so you back away and you've given up. I know that I've been there. It's a challenge. Galatians 6 verse 9 is for you, for each one of us. It says, let us not grow weary while doing good. Let's, let's read this together. Let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart amazing promise don't lose heart if you don't lose heart in due season you will reap if you don't give up and you keep on praying if you don't give up and you keep on loving if you don't give up and you keep on serving and you keep your eyes on Jesus you will reap a reward you will reap a soul for the kingdom one soul is worth it one soul is worth it keep on doing it don't give up you see if you sit in a corner at the office In your family, your neighborhood, your class, your school, you sit in a corner and you don't say anything to anyone about Jesus. What would the result be? No persecution. That's the result. No persecution. But no one will come to Christ either. 
You get persecuted when you start saying things people don't want to hear. You get persecuted like Jesus and the apostles when you get up and you say what needs to be said. So I'm thinking, sometimes we need to get uncomfortable. We need to go through hell so that people can, other people can be spared hell. Sometimes we need to be unpopular and make people uncomfortable to see God's kingdom come on the earth. Sometimes we need to be unpopular and make people uncomfortable to see the kingdom of God come on the earth. Jesus made people uncomfortable. The apostles made people uncomfortable. We need to make people uncomfortable sometimes just with loving them with the truth. And sometimes we need to be unpopular. Are you ready to be unpopular? I'm willing to be unpopular to see people come to Christ. I'm willing to be unpopular. I'm willing to preach this message here this morning and think, yo, I'm never going back to that church. But you got the truth here. I'm telling you the truth. I'd rather hear the truth, even if it's uncomfortable, than hide away with lies. Last story, ending off with this. Another story, R.A. Tory. See, this is the day of salvation. That's why I'm sharing these stories with you. He says, the officers of Chicago Avenue churches, some of the leaders, were greatly troubled at one time that there was not more conviction of sin in the meeting. So they were having services, and they people are not getting convicted of their sin. And so... They had a number of prayer meetings that God might send his Holy Spirit in mighty convicting power. Prayer. He says, not long after that one Sunday night, as I was preaching, I noticed a man in the front seat in the gallery to my left. The gallery there to the left. Leaning forward, listening most intently. A great diamond flashed upon his shirt front and he had every appearance of being a sporting man. I'm not sure what a sporting man is. It was a hundred years ago. But he was a sporting man. He proved to be a traveling man but was also leading a sporting life. <laughs> so I presume that's a sinful life, a sporting life. In the midst of my sermon, without any intention of drawing the net at the time, but simply to drive a point home and make it definite, I said, who will accept Jesus Christ tonight? Scarcely had the words left my lips when this man sprang to his feet and cried so that it rang through the church like a pistol shot. I will! And sank back into his seat, overcome with emotion. His action produced a sensation in the audience like a shock of electricity. I saw it was no time to finish the sermon. I was not there to save sermons, but to save souls. And I immediately gave the invitation. I said, who else in this building will accept Jesus Christ here and now as his personal savior? All over the church, men and women, young and old, began to rise to their feet. And a large company that night accepted Jesus Christ. Among the number was an old white-haired colonel belonging to a very wealthy family in the east, but was entirely overcome with strong drink. His family had sent him out to Chicago and boarded him at a hotel where they, while, while he drank himself to death. But that night, the Spirit of God touched his heart. That's so beautiful. I was reading these stories. Each one, I was just so moved. Just by that one, the colonel, who was drinking himself to death, coming to Christ, the man with TB. Surrendering his life to Jesus on his, on his deathbed. 
the blacksmith who was stubborn atheist, surrendering his life to Jesus. There are only two types of people on the face of this earth. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. That's it. That's it. So what can we learn from this story? When Christians are moved for the eternal souls of people, we pray. We pray. And the Spirit of God touched his heart. It's not us that save people. It's the Spirit of God that saves. And so we need to share. We need to go. We need to serve. And we need to share. Are you willing to be a little bit unpopular, a little bit uncomfortable to see one soul come to Christ? It starts with just saying, God, I want, I, want, I want to lead someone to Jesus. Help me. Help me to lead someone to Jesus. Lord, help me to see. You can be a mom with a little baby, and you can be at the whatever class with all the mommies, and you can reach out to one of them. Whatever form and place of life you are at, you are positioned there where you can touch someone's life. Start praying before you go to those things. Start praying who you should connect with. Start reaching out to them. Okay, so you need to go, you need to serve, and you need to share. Hallelujah. We have been saved to save others. We have been saved to save others. If you don't know where to start, start reading your Bible. Start equipping yourself, build up your faith, that you start to know that the words of Jesus, they are truth, and we will stand before God one day. Okay, hallelujah.